We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. I would put myself in the same category as Dwayne. Now our test is jumped over the scores table. Our test is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast, presented as always by DraftKings.com. It is Tuesday, January fifteenth, Tuesday night actually. Uh, Most of you will probably listen to this on Wednesday. I have a guest joining me tonight, Anthony Puccio. He covers the Nets for Nets Daily of SB Nation. Anthony's a great follow on Twitter, always provides a ton of Nets content year-round, and really has emerged uh, as one of the foremost sources of information and content surrounding that franchise. So he was gracious enough to give me about 45 minutes of his time, touched on a ton of Nets material, kind of how he got to where he is in the industry, uh, and some more general NBA topics as well. So it was a really fun conversation I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get to Anthony. All right, I have Anthony Puccio on the line. He, of course, covers the Brooklyn Nets for SB Nation's Nets Daily. Also does some NBA work for the Associated Press. Anthony, really appreciate you taking the time out of your night to join me. Nick, appreciate you having me on. Excited to talk some Nets. For sure. So 
I want to ask you a little bit about your personal background, you know, your, how you kind of got into this life uh, as a Nets writer, reporter. So how did you get into sports writing initially? Is this always kind of what you wanted to be doing as you started off your professional career? Yeah, you know, Nick, uh, it's, it's been an interesting run. Um, when I was seven years old, my dad got season tickets to the, to the Nets, and that's when they just acquired Jason Kidd. And uh, I really grew up with the Nets and, and watched every every game. If I wasn't there, I was at home watching every Nets game possible. And uh, as I started hitting high school, uh, my dad was a part of the Lehman collapse. You know, our house was thrown on the market for foreclosure. Um, HBO did, actually did a movie on it. And, you know, I was, I was pretty young, so I figured, you know, I, I wanted to find out what I wanted to do at a young age. And, you know, the... the Basically, the only thing I loved in life was was basketball and the Brooklyn Nets at the time, New Jersey Nets. So, you know, come senior year, I wanted to find a path. Uh, I, I said, you know, I, I, I watch every game. I might as well just start writing about them. And, you know, I, I started writing features and, and game recaps on, on Microsoft Word and really just sending them around like a like a mixtape like rapper sending mixtapes around <laughs> you know emailing other people and, and not even asking for a job really it was just that you know I knew I was young I knew I wasn't going to get a paying gig or anything like that mm-hmm. it was more so you know how what what advice can you give me you know because I'm entering college uh, I want to see if this should be my major and things like that and Tom Lorenzo of SB Nation who I work with now uh, he got back to me. He said, look, you know, just stay at it, stay persistent because you're good at what you do. Just, you know, like I said, just keep working hard. And, you know, I circled back to Tom Lorenzo a year later and, and, and he took me on at 18 years old. Um, he gave me, you know, he got me season credentials with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I started covering them when Ke- uh, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce were there and, and I'm still here. So it's, it's, it's been a fun, interesting and and strange 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 ride <laughs> no i uh I, I have a kind of somewhat of a similar experience in, in college i started writing for for the now defunct bucksketball.com which at the time was part of true hoop um yeah. so I, I i know a little bit about what it's like you know trying to balance that you know having to beg bartenders to put the bucks on at a bar <laughs> so you can keep an eye on it if you're, if you're kind of te- trying to keep an eye on a game on a friday or saturday but uh certainly not always easy so you went to university of st john's and you wrote for, for Nets Daily throughout your time there? Yeah, so um, I actually started at Nassau Community College and then St. John's. Okay. What I would do is schedule all my classes basically 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, I would commute to class, get home by 3 o'clock, hop in a suit, jump on the train around 4, and then get home around 1 o'clock a.m. and you know rinse and repeat basically when the Nets would play at home or even on the road You know when I covered the games too. So were you credentialed for home games at that time? Yes, season oh, credentialed cool. since uh, since eighteen years old. Was that was that tough at all? I don't know how strict they are usually. I mean, it's it's kind of hit or miss. We're, I'm in Wisconsin market here, and you know we apply every now and then, and, and the Bucks kind of say yes and no depending on what the opponent is. But you know, back then was was it pretty easy to get a credential? Um, you know, I didn't really handle that process. I, sure. I let my editors do that, but I will say that uh, the Nets Public Relations Department has been was extremely understanding of my situation that I was mm-hmm. a little younger and, and still learning and things like that. And, you know, I tip my hat to them for really letting me get my feet wet and learn and, and, you know, again, evolve into, I guess, six years now. Yeah. So, so fast forward into the present now, you know, now that you're, you're out of college, what is a, a typical day like for you on a Nets game day? 
Man, I'm doing everything. You know, I, I try to tell people when they ask me, uh, I don't really exactly have one title. I, I'm kind of the Swiss Army knife for, for Nets Daily. So, you know, before the games, I'll, I'll go and hear what Kenny Atkinson has to say, uh, put his audio up. We have a SoundCloud page where we put all pregame and postgame audio up, put that up for the fans, tweet it out. I'll head out to the court. You know, I handle the Snapchat, uh, Instagram Live, Instagram, uh, Facebook, all these different uh, social media platforms that I could connect with the fans through. Um, I try to really basically get everything I possibly can right up until tip-off, pictures, things like anything, videos, um, whatever it is that, that could really, like I said, get the fans closer to the game, get them closer to the to the players, the coaches, and things like that. And then I run up to my seat. I write a game recap. You know, we have like a five to ten minute buzzer deadline. Uh, run downstairs, talk to Kenny Atkinson again. You know, do some interviews in the locker room, and 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 you know, post more stuff on SoundCloud, on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, and really, it's 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 a balance, and and really trying to get uh, you know editorial content up, but also social media content. So really trying to change with the times here. Right. So what is your relationship, you know, working with SB Nation versus a more traditional outlet, like with the Nets fan base, you know, having followed you on Twitter, you know, at RotoWire, we deal a ton with, you know, NBA Twitter, NBA News Twitter, um, you know, tracking injury news, lineup news, things like that. So we get a good sense of kind of, you know, who's who, you know, which, which writers are, are more personable than others, which are, are more prone to interact with followers. Like, I mean, is that part of the challenge, you know, especially as a, as a younger journalist kind of trying to interact with the younger fan base? You know, Nick, I think I think it's actually worked to my benefit without uh, without trying to toot my horn or anything like that. I think that, uh, you know, a lot of Brooklyn Nets fans are younger because you got to figure a lot of their parents that were growing up in New York, um, they only had one option. It was the New York Knicks, you know, whereas now um, these kids have two options. They could pick the Knicks or the Nets and. As of right now, the Nets have a better future, or it seems like they're in a better scenario. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into we'll, that. We'll say, we'll say for right now. But uh, you know, I, I think that it's been it's been easy for me to connect. I think the fact that I am also the longest tenured beat writer, mm-hmm. even though I'm only 23 years old, you know, that's definitely helped. Um, my relationship relationships with the players are very good and I think that's also because I played basketball with some of them and and have known them from previous experiences so uh, I've really tried to wrap all of that up in one ball and become the middleman for the fan base and for the players you know what I'm trying to say like Mm -hmm. be that that guy that could that could kind of relay messages both ways and and that's why I really enjoy doing things like periscopes and and podcasts where the fans could really hop in and and you know voice their opinions Wait, wait. So, so you said you played with some of these guys? Was this like in high school? Yeah, I mean, I played very, very competitive AAU basketball. Sure. My my team was ninth in the nation, and you know, up until senior year. I mean, I played with a lot of the guys, and it's just so funny when when you go into an opposing team's locker room. You know, for me, uh, somebody that I played with closely and trained with very closely was Tobias Harris, and you know, just like going in the locker room and seeing like and and, and talking, it's it's funny yeah. to see, you know, both of us make it. You know, obviously on different realms and different different ways, but it's still cool right. nonetheless. So, what what is your relationship like, you know, with Kenny Atkinson? You know, I, I would imagine, like you said, it's it's easier to relate to some of the younger players. Um, but you know, what is what has it been like getting to know him over these last few years? 
Uh, you know, Nick, I say it all the time. Kenny Atkinson is is just he's a class act. Um, he's a he's a Long Island native like myself. We have a lot of connections through the basketball circuit there as well. So I mean that helped too. Um, his his high school coach was one of my coaches when I was a little kid for for basketball camp. So you know, like I said, a lot of a lot of ties in the basketball world in the AAU world. Him being from New York, but you know, as a person, I I can't I can't say enough good things about about Kenny Atkinson. You would never think that he is a professional head coach in, in the NBA if you were to meet him on the streets. Yeah, so you alluded to you know the Knicks Knicks Nets kind of mini rivalry um, you know a little bit earlier, but right now you know what is the Nets place as a franchise and and maybe even more importantly as a brand in the city of New York? You know, like what what is the divide? Does it go borough by borough? I've been out to New York a few times and you probably wouldn't be surprised to learn that, you know, someone from Wisconsin coming out there, almost every, all the gear you see is Knicks, you know, all the, the billboards you see are Knicks. Um, you know, when you get around, you know, when you get into Brooklyn, when you get closer to Barclays, you know, maybe that switches up a little bit, but I mean, I get the sense that it's a Knicks city and it'll always be a Knicks city, but it, I mean, is there, is there a way that the Nets are eventually going to carve out a brand and, and make this, you know, less of a Clippers Lakers situation? Yeah. You know, it's an interesting point you bring up. Right now, it's still it, it, it is still a Knicks city. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, with the younger generations, I think I think it's going to take time for the Nets to really emerge. Um, the key here is for them to be like the New York Mets, right? Like the Yankees will always be those guys, but the Mets, when they're good, their presence is is felt and they're they're selling out games and things like that. Where the Nets right now. You know, they play an opposing team like the Celtics or they play the Knicks or they play the Lakers and and you're seeing more of the opposing fans at the arena. And, you know, speaking with a lot of players behind the scenes and things like that, guys that are new especially, they they, they come up to me and they say, Hey, what's up with this? You know, um, is is this is this how it's been the last six years? I say, Well, yeah, you know, they're they're really trying to differentiate themselves. I think that it's so obvious, but with winning, with a star, everything changes. I mean, New York people are just craving good basketball. Um, my my St. John's are providing a little bit of it, but they're not there yet. So, you know, between the Nets and the Knicks, I think this is a perfect opportunity for the Nets to capitalize while the Knicks are tanking and they are down. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that they're going to turn that leaf until uh, really – really they start winning and they do get a star but once it's built and once once a foundation is built here i think that you know barclay center is going to be rocking and it it really has been the last 10 games or so which is which has been really fun to see right i mean i think you hear this term a little bit more in college sports you know major programs that are down for whatever reason in texas miami whoever it might be florida but the nets i mean as, as far as you can say this in the nba they're somewhat of a sleeping giant you know given the market given the new arena, given the attractiveness of NYC as a free agent destination. And then, like you said, I think it's one player away. You know, I mean, neither team, the Nets or the Knicks, have really had, you know, that star other than Carmelo. And honestly, you know, for him, that really only lasted three years, maybe, um, and and got them, what, to the second round, I think, once. So, like, there really hasn't been that marquee player. And, And I feel, you know, on the outside, at least, did it, did it seem to you that the Nets went all in too quick, you know, when they moved to Brooklyn? It, it seemed like they were rushing to make a splash, you know, with the franchise move. They acquire KG and Pierce. Um, and obviously, you know, I think most people who follow the NBA knew that that was going to be a shorter run than maybe the Nets, Nets management thought it would be. 
Yeah. Um, but as far, as far as that setting them back, you know, what was your initial thought um, when that trade went down? You know, were, were, you, were you glad that Brooklyn was, you know, immediately relevant? Or did you kind of look three, four years down the road and think, you know, I don't know if this is what's actually best for the franchise? You know, it's funny because I actually didn't even think about the picks. I didn't think of the future. I just thought, you know, I thought. It would be every, so good. Honestly, no, I, I, I really thought that it was forced. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it, it actually bothered me because it was even the first season in Brooklyn. Like everything seemed so forced. It was like we need to get a superstar. We need to do this, that. Uh, appeal to everything that Darren Williams wanted to do. You know, they traded that pick for for Gerald Wallace, who obviously was declining heavily at that <laughs> point, and and it turned out to be Damian Lillard. Um, you know, and, and then the year after, obviously, as you mentioned with with Paul Pierce and KG, um, there really there was no sense of you know like there's no sense of this is our team. Like this, mm-hmm. it seemed like a rented team. Um, Especially a team that was from Boston, nonetheless. You know, right? Um, that you know, the first season in Brooklyn, the Nets and the and the Celtics had gotten into a huge brawl, and people always forget about that. But if you're a true fan, you know, you don't forget about those type of things. And now these guys are on your team. Paul Pierce is is basically sleeping through the press conference. Um, Kevin Garnett is always hyped up, as always, and I mean he he is he was fun to cover and always fun to watch, even though he was declining, but. It just like I said, it felt like it was forced, forced down fans' throats. Whereas now, um, it's organic. It's it's homegrown, and and it's easier for fans to get behind this. Uh, easier said than done when you're losing, and your Yes Network or any of these guys that, you know, your numbers are low. But now that they're starting to win, and 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 the tree is growing in Brooklyn, you know, the fans finally have a sense of of hope and 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 really a sense of this is their own like i said this is organic this is homegrown a karis levert you know is drafted by the nets the jared allen is drafted by the nets rodion's karooks um you know you look at joe harris he's plucked out of the g league you look at spencer dinwiddie plucked out of d league um you look at even d'angelo russell like he may not have been drafted by the brooklyn nets but he feels like one of their own so you know you look at this group compared to where they were um, it's so much easier to get behind these guys because it isn't forced right in your face. Whereas back then, we had to get these big stars, and and right away they hired Jason Kidd. You know, after after Avery Johnson's experiment failed after 30 games or so, um, and and it just you know Sports Illustrated puts them on the cover saying who wants a piece of them. You know, it, it was just it was it was just it was too much at once, and it wasn't promising enough to to really hop on board i mean we had the enemies playing with us really so you started covering the nets like right around the time that that era was ending right uh i started right when they traded for paul pierce and oh Kevin really Hill. okay okay yeah. so that was 2013-14 yep okay yep. so you kind of got a taste of uh, a little bit of both them but like what were what were some of the challenges of covering a team you know after that era ends um you know so kind of starting 2015-16 Three straight years where they win in the 20s, 21, 20, 28 wins. You know, there's a ton of roster turnover. I think they had 22 guys saw NBA minutes last season, 20-plus the year before. You got guys coming in on 10 days, guys going out all the time. Um, like, what are the challenges of covering a team like that, you know, when you have a bunch of misfits and, and guys, you know, certainly that play hard. You know, a lot of the names you mentioned were, were on those rosters. Um, but, you know, I mean, you follow the NBA as, as, as well as anybody. You, you kind of know the destiny of a team like that. You know, by the midpoint of the season, they know they're not making the playoffs. Like, what are some of the challenges of covering a team 
that's kind of in flux like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, to start, you you look at a bunch of guys and you look around the locker room and you wonder who's going to be here next year, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's no there's there's so much turnover within the roster every year. Um, players are angry, you know, they don't really want to talk at their games or even before, you know, when they're 30 games under 500. Um, you know, you have guys like Brooke Lopez who have been around and, you know, they're worried about getting traded literally every single trade deadline. Um, so just just the environment, there there was no there was no signs of hope. There was no signs of things are going to get better, anything like that. You know, for the players, it was just, you know, they had the practice facility in New Jersey, but they were playing in Brooklyn. So it was really just one, you know, ball of cluster it was it was just uh you know there were really no words to describe it because at least now uh, there seems like there's a future there seems like there's hope whereas then there was there was nothing it felt like you were just hanging out to dry in the desert but I will say from a personal perspective it's hard for me to dwell on it because you know I got to learn from some of the better writers in in, in the league Tim Tim Bontemps and Mike Mazio and Stefan Bondi and people like that you know, my first year with the team. And then when they started going down the tubes, you know, it kind of opened the opened the door for me. It opened mm-hmm. it really, you know, they, they went from having every every paper in New York plus ESPN to having two papers covering them and then me, you know. So um, it, it really, it was a blessing in disguise for myself. I got to interview players that may have been on the lower end or things like, you know, lower tier. But, uh it, it it gave me experience. It let me get my feet wet. So, you know, Nick, like, not to make it about myself, but there, from a journalist perspective, there are two things, right? Like, everybody may be miserable. The situation may be uh, may not be ideal. You may not be getting as many retweets as you you think you deserve or whatever. But, you know, at, you, at the same time, you got to look at uh, at the positives of the situation. And for me, that's that's really what it was. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, you know, professionally, journalistically, I think. I think you're positioned pretty well, you know, for, for if and when the Nets, you know, have their come up. I think a lot of writers who wrote for the Warriors, you know, 10 years ago or the Cavaliers before LeBron came back, you know, were probably in a pretty similar situation. And, you know, all it takes is, is a move like that. And, you know, ESPN, you know, expands their coverage. The Athletic throws five writers in, on a team. Like, it's, it is insane, you know, how, how cyclical that coverage can be. Um, so obviously the Nets went four straight years without really controlling their pick with with the swaps and everything that were involved in that trade. Did you get the sense like organizationally that 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 was like hovering over everyone? You know, I mean, there are, I've talked to writers who have covered bad teams and like, you know, at least for a lot of those teams, uh, really every other team like this is a completely unique situation that the Nets found themselves in. Um, you know, you at least have some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Not that guys on the team are, are excited about some college kid coming in and taking their spot, but for the fan base, um, for people reading your work, you know, there's always something to look forward to. With the Nets, like, did it just feel like you're waiting and waiting and waiting, you know, until this, this deal is finally over and, and you no longer, you know, have the specter of Gerald Wallace and all those picks kind of hanging yeah. over this franchise? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Nick. I mean, every year, the Nets are the laughing stock and, and, here I am sitting at the NBA draft every year, um, going to interview, you know, Wake Grusbeck for the from the Celtics every year. You know, like it was it was it was always hanging over Nets fans' heads, always over the writers' heads, and it was like an asterisk next to every single little tiny good thing that they did. 
it was like, well, they don't have their draft pick. So, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was, it was a relief that it finally did come to an end, but by time it came to an end, it's, it, it's just so funny how things work out, right? Sean Marks take, takes over with Kenny Atkinson. They, they shift the direction of this organization. They finally have their own draft pick and they, they're right now in the playoff race, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it definitely it definitely hangs over the fa- uh, the fan base. You know, it's 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 a relief that it's over because it's just it, like I said, anything good that happens, there will always be that asterisk asterisk next to your name, next next to the Nets name, and and really just you know people get sick of being the laughing stock of the NBA in the national spotlight. So I'm glad you made that point. You know, now they finally have their pick. They're 22 and 23. I mean, they're not they're not going to the finals, but the win percentage wise, they're having their best year uh, since 2014-15. You know, they're they're on pace to eclipse last season's win total. You know, in the next few weeks, um, I think if the Nets want it, they can make the playoffs. You know, they're firmly to me in that second tier uh, behind the, the top five in the East. You know, with Miami, Charlotte, Orlando, Detroit, Washington. Um, and there's basically three spots, you know, for those teams and then a pretty considerable drop off after that to teams like Cleveland and New York that really have no interest in making the playoffs. What, what do you sense is the direction that the Nets are going to take, you know, not only over these last 40 or so games, but as their trade deadline approaches, as the buyout deadline approaches, like is, do you get the, th- the sense that if it's on the table for them, they're going to try to go to the playoffs or do they maybe sell off uh, an expiring or two and, you know, kind of pack it in and, and plan for next year or the year after? No, that's an interesting point. I think I think that right now, this this was the whole thing. They were going to evaluate where they were at come January and February and see which route they wanted to take because they have guys like Damari Carroll that mm-hmm. that are expiring and and they could probably move to a playoff team or or you know a contending team. But you know they have to ask themselves, is it worth it? Because you know Damari Carroll brings a lot of things to to this team, and it's not just the veteran leadership. You know it's his style of play that he's a three and D type of guy. And, you know, he's somebody that's been there and if they're going to go there and they plan on going there, then they're going to have to keep him. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's tough for them because they're in that weird middle way where they do want to keep acquiring assets and things like that. But for right now, I think that, I think their biggest acquisition is going to be Karis LeVert, you know, um, they're, they're definitely going to look to make a move. Um, they they desperately need stretch fours. Um, any any type of big that could hit a three would be would go such a long way for this team. Um, you know, even a, even a big physical big that could come in and and kind of stop the bleeding when these opposing bigs are kind of taking advantage of Jared Allen, who's who's playing great, but he is getting taken advantage of down low by by bigger bigger opposing centers. So. I would I would look and say you know a lower end guy maybe just somebody they could add that could again stretch the floor help out in the front court but I wouldn't expect much again I think that that Karis LeVert is really going to be their biggest addition come come February. Yeah, I mean even if they decided to go the other way, you know, and and try to fall back, like I I almost think they've built like too much of a cushion over those bottom four in the East. I mean they're eight games up on Atlanta. And they're 11 games up on Chicago and New York. And then the Cavs are even lower. Like, even even if they, like, tried to lose out the rest of the way, you know, they're probably still looking at, like, the seventh or eighth pick at best. So, no, I mean, I think the position they're at going for the playoffs does make sense. And they're, like I said, they're in such a unique spot that, you know, obviously this fan base has, has been through a lot the last few years that I think 
more so than than the typical franchise. Um, you know, even even a playoff berth and going up against Toronto or Milwaukee in in what would be a pretty tough round one series would, in a lot of ways, you know, feel like a successful season. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Nick, I say it all the time. If they make the playoffs, I mean, give the executive of the year and coach of the year to Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson. Oh, yeah. And, and maybe, maybe I'm biased, but, I mean, you look at what they took over. You know, no ca- no draft picks, no cap space, very few valuable assets, and, and mm-hmm. look at what they turned it into. You know, they have, they have a culture here. They have something established, an identity playing under Kenny Atkinson that they're always going to work hard and, and – they're going to find hidden gems wherever it may be, whether it's international talent, talent in the G League, things like that. Um, it's just not in their it's not in their DNA to to tank or try to lose like they're 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 trying to win and they're not happy with where they are right now, which is pretty cool to hear because it's been a long time since the Nets have been able to say that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if they make the playoffs and they get swept or anything like that, I don't think anybody's stressing that pick. It's it's more about just continuing to make those strides because look they're they're looking to hit money this summer you know they they might have two max slots for free agents so if they could show that they're competent enough on the court the way that they've shown that they're competent enough off the court i think that you know they have a have a good shot at getting somebody this summer so looking at the current roster i have the cap sheet up right now i mean they have really almost nobody committed beyond next season you know you have jared allen you have uh kurooks and and zan and musa um, from this past draft, you know, which are basically just rookie deals. Um, but other than that, you know, there's, there's some player options for next season. Um, but a lot of guys, you mentioned Damari Carroll, you know, Kenneth Reed's expiring, Jared Dudley's expiring, Ed Davis was a one-year deal. Um, I mean, they obviously ha- have that cap space cleared for a reason, but how many of these guys on the roster right now do you think they view as part of the longer-term core? You know, we're talking 2020 and beyond. Yeah, you know, you, it's tough to say just because – you know they're going to look to get as 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 much talent as they possibly can. But you know, off the top of my head, you look at guys like Spencer Dinwiddie, who just signed a contract. Joe Harris just signed a contract, not long term, but he'll be here for a couple more years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you said Karuks, you said Jared Allen, Karis Levert. Um, now the guy that the big question is around is is D'Angelo Russell because they have two guys that can handle the rock and and Karis Levert and and Spencer Dinwiddie. But now you have D'Angelo Russell, who is only 22 years old. He's starting to come into his own, you know, averaging career highs in points and assists. I believe it's about 19 and six at this point. You know, D'Angelo drops 34 last night, um, and and really, that's their biggest decision. The guys that I named are, are really the guys that are going to be around long term. Um, I know Ed Davis wants to be here long term. It's a matter of how much he wants and whether they feel the same, but. Uh, you know, their young core is basically what I named. D'Angelo Russell, I believe they'll bring back, but, you know, you can never be too sure. Um, obviously, like I said, he's coming into his own. He's still so young, and he's showing star potential. Um, that's that's really going to be their biggest decision. Uh, we haven't seen John Musa yet because he's been hurt and he's been playing in the G League, but he's another guy that they think really highly of. He's still only 20 years old. So uh, I, think, I think what you see is is what you're going to see for the next couple of years at, at, in terms of the young guys. Uh, but, you know, Nick, when it comes to these young teams and, and what I've learned is that, you know, when they had Brooke Lopez around, even when they were losing, at least they knew Brooke Lopez was going to be, be back next year and be that veteran leader that they needed in the locker room when times are tough or whatever it may be. You know, the Nets team right now, 
they have veterans on the team like Ed Davis and Damari Carroll and, and uh, Jared Dudley, but they're all expiring contracts. And that is something that does, you know, that, that hurts these guys a little bit because they don't really know who's going to be around to be like that bigger brother in the locker room. So, you know, I, I wonder about Ned Davis being here long term. I wonder about even Jared Dudley just signing a veteran's minimum for a year or two and just being that voice in Jared Allen's head because he's been such a great influence on these guys. So um, the dynamic and the makeup of this team is really interesting. I think that, again, what you see is right now in terms of the young guys is basically who's going to be around for a couple of years. So you mentioned Jared Dudley. Um, I mean, I, I'm su- assuming you've had plenty of chances to talk with him. You know, he's he's about as as open to that as as any NBA player. You know, in terms of hopping on podcasts with writers and you know just kind of developing this reputation as an outwardly good guy, both in and out of the locker room. Like, is, does that hold up? You know, as someone who's around him day to day. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Jared Dudley has been one of the biggest acquisitions in the offseason, and it's crazy, you know, to say that looking back six months ago or whatever, you know, whenever it happened, um, people were wondering if they were going to buy him out. But he's been so important just for Kenny Atkinson's sake, to be like that player coach, on, you know, out there, um, to be that guy in Jared Allen's ear, to be that guy in D'Angelo Russell's ear when he was getting benched late in the fourth quarter, to just talk him up and make sure he doesn't, you know, slip up, say anything to the media or, or say anything to coach, you know, just keeping things controlled. And, you know, at the same time, I, I bring up all these veteran leadership qualities and, and things like that. But, you know, J.D., is, he's been he's been solid on the court, too. Like, he, he is one of the few big men that could actually stretch the floor. And, you know, they've missed him since he's been out. He just hurt his hamstring. But, you know, he's, he's a tremendous character around the locker room. And he's somebody, you know, I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but, you know, he's been he's been giving away – he's been giving out – tickets to fans and and talking to them and trying to really build up the fan base kind of what we were talking about before you know Knicks versus Nets uh you know it it being a Knicks versus Nets city um he's really trying to build it up to where fans are starting to believe in the Nets and and he's trying to get people at the game so I think that when you talk about building a culture and and things like that somebody like Jared Dudley is is super super important yeah, I mean, looking at him last year in Phoenix, you know, like I said, he's he's kind of he wherever he goes, he gets this reputation. You know, I, I got to talk to him a little bit in Milwaukee when he was there three, four years ago, um, and everywhere he's gone, you know, it, it kind of seemed like, you know, no matter whether he knows anyone on the team, whether he's been there before, that's just who he's going to be. But by by the end of last year, I mean, he barely played after the All Star break. He only played, I think, forty five, forty six games for Phoenix last year, um, and and was just kind of a full time mentor to those young guys but it sounds like he's now been doing that and averaging what 20 plus minutes a game yeah. uh, for the Nets this season I do you, did he expect that to be his role like I, I remember hearing an interview with him over the summer when he kind of knew he was on his way out of Phoenix um, and it seemed like he was almost I wouldn't say resigned to the fact but he was ready to embrace kind of that next step in his career you know as that full-time mentor even though he's only 33 um, did he expect to be you know a 20 minute a game guy for this team I don't know. I don't know if he would necessarily say twenty plus minutes, but I think that he he knew that he was going to get some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said to me, you know, if they wanted, if they didn't want me around here, or you know, if I was just a waste of a roster spot, you know, they would have bought me out by now. Right. You know, because they have some tremendous players playing in the G League right now. You look at like a guy like Alan Williams, who could really be taking some of Dudley's minutes or or somebody like that. Uh, you know, I I think I think he. 
he somewhat expected it and he exceeded it. And Kenny Atkinson is paying, uh, is really rewarding him for for everything that he has brought to the table. So it's it's been like I said, it's been fun to watch him. Uh, like you said, go from basically not playing at all last season to to being an integral part of this Nets team right now. All right, a couple more Nets items, then we'll get to rapid fire. Uh, so you mentioned D'Angelo Russell. You actually wrote a story on D'Angelo Russell for Nets Daily that was uh, went live this morning. Um, yeah, how much has he grown since he arrived in Brooklyn last year? Um, you know, obviously you've gotten to know him now for for quite a while. You know, what what is he like versus what you expected he would be like? You know, from what you knew about him at Ohio State, what you knew about him uh, in L.A., everything that happened there. Um, you know, has he? You know, what what is his reputation? I guess versus what he's actually like. Yeah, you know, everybody has this label on him that he's this too cool for school kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will I will say firsthand that D'Angelo Russell is and is becoming a class act. You know, he's he's really matured with his time here. I think that um, with the way that Kenny Atkinson has run the system, runs this culture, Sean Marks. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a check your ego at the door type of thing, you know, and, and he knew that and he came here and he said right away, you know, guys, I know what happened in in Los Angeles. You know, he wanted to get better, you know, he, right away, he, like he knew not necessarily that he made any mistakes or, you know, however you want to judge it, but he knew that whatever happened in LA needed to be of the past. And, and, you know, right from there, you kind of knew that this kid, was ready to get it going. It was a matter of, and this is what somebody on the inside told me when they first made the trade. Look, we know that he has talent, but we want to see how he acts when times are tough, when we're losing or he's not playing. And, you know, I watch him this season and he's balling out, but there are some games where Kenny Atkinson may sit him in the fourth quarter and he, he doesn't get to play in crunch time. But there is never, you know, any any issues in the locker room. There are never any issues with the media or anything like that. Um, D'Angelo Russell has really become like, and I wrote in my story, you know, a comeback, a great comeback story because this narrative that was pushed on him at such a young age while he was in Hollywood and, and, and dealing with that type of stuff, Kobe farewell tour and Magic Johnson dissing him on the way out, obviously the Swaggy P incident and, you know, to see him come from all of that and, and, and grow from it, you know, it, it not only speaks for the Nets organization and what they've built here, but it, it speaks so much to his personality and character and obviously him as a hooper. So in, in that story, um, I don't know if this was a quote from him, but there was something about you know him thinking he's an all-star, thinking he should be considered uh, yeah, for the all-star last... game. Yeah. He's not making the all-star game, right? I don't think so unless unless the fans go absolutely berserk, <laughs> which you know, I haven't seen so far. But yeah, yeah. Uh, look, Nick, I'll, I'll say this. You know, averaging 19 and seven since Karis LeVert went down, which is mm-hmm. you know 30 games. They're 16 and 14 in that in that span. He may not be an All Star, you know, in the in the national eyes. His stats don't really necessarily say that. You know, 19 and six doesn't really jump off the page when it comes to the All Star game. But I will say he is he is maybe a year or two away from being that guy. And and uh, if he doesn't make the All Star game, maybe maybe he could be in consideration for Most Improved Player. Oh, certainly. I mean, and honestly, now I'm looking. I'm looking at the East right now, and it does drop off considerably, especially at guard. You know, once you get beyond Lowry, Kyrie, Kemba, Oladipo. I mean, I, I, now that I think about it, maybe an injury or two, uh, and he could be there. I mean, Goran Dragic was in the All Star game last year, right? 
Yeah. 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 If Goran Dragic can do it, D'Angelo Russell can do it. Um, so the other young guy in that backcourt, you know, other than Karis LeVert, who, who's on the shelf right now, Spencer Dinwiddie signed an extension a few weeks ago, three years, $34 million. Um, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know uh, at least a little bit about Spencer Dinwiddie's journey, you know, towards ACL coming out of college, ended up being a second rounder, uh, bounced around, you know, Chicago, Detroit, Brooklyn, in and out of the G League, finally kind of solidified himself now over this last year and a half as a legitimate, you know, starting caliber guard, even if they're bringing him off the bench. Um, I'm sure you're aware he was on the Woj pod a couple weeks ago. Listen to that. Um, and he was a super smart guy. Um, I don't really have a question. I just want to say, like, he seems like he'd be an absolute dream to cover, you know, as a reporter. Yeah. Is that true? Yes, absolutely. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, when you mentioned D'Angelo Russell, I think confidence. When I think of Spencer Dinwiddie, I think smart. I think um, I think uh, a man that's wise beyond his years. You know, he, he is really such a joy to cover, such a joy to talk to. Just even whether it be about life, whether it be about, you know, um, his shoes, pop culture type of things, anything. You just, you talk to him and he, he's just a joy. Um, he doesn't think he's better than anybody else or anything like that. He's he's one of us. So yeah, definitely, definitely a, a joy to cover. Definitely somebody that has bought into everything here. And it's like, like I say with everybody else, so much fun to, to watch him evolve over the years. So Woj talked to him about, um, you know, he committed to Colorado over Harvard, which I, I didn't know that, that Harvard was an option for him. Does he let guys on the team, does he let you guys know that, that he could have gone to Harvard? No, he has actually never brought that up. I know I know he did like a Harvard business class, he told yeah. me over the summer or something like that, but no, I had no idea about that. He, he and Jeremy Lin could have been playing together maybe, huh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I actually did want to ask you about Jeremy Lin. We'll, we'll keep this fairly brief. I feel like his time with the Nets, um, you know, wasn't exactly what, what everyone thought it would be, mostly due to injuries. But, um, I mean, what was that like from an interest level? You know, he, he came to, to Brooklyn in 2016. So, you know, we're talking three, four years, uh, actually probably four or five years since, you know, the real peak of Linsanity uh, with the Knicks back in 2012. But, um, I mean, did, did that still kind of, you know, strike a tone, at least with that fan base? Like, was Jeremy Lin still a big name in the city of New York? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the Lin, the Lin Hive is is <laughs> is one of its own. I'll, I will tell you that. To for this better day? Or for worse. To this day, yeah. absolutely. Um, you know, Nick, I, I'll say this. Uh, it was a joy to cover Jeremy. He was a smart player. I thought he was a very talented player. I wish I could have seen him more on the court. But in terms of his fans... Um, it kind of caused a divide between Nets fans because it was like you have Jeremy Lin's fans on one side and then you have Nets fans on the other. And basically any threat to Jeremy Lin, whether it was Spencer Dinwiddie or whether it was it was D'Angelo Russell the year after, it was like, you know, you have hundreds of people coming after you if you say one good thing about D'Angelo Russell and not Jeremy. Or or if you if you put any type of slander on Jeremy's name. And you know, I have spoken to him about it, and, you know, there are times where, uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I had uh, I had received a death threat after saying something about Jeremy Lin being on the trade block, and, uh, you know, we had spoken about it, and he, he said to me, you know, Anthony, uh, I wish I could say something, but I don't want them to think that I'm not grateful for everything that they do for me, you know, and, and, and I really appreciated that kind of response. You know, he doesn't have to apologize for anybody else's actions or anything like that. But, um, yeah, his, 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 he understands, like, he has the most committed, like, probably the most committed fan base in the world. And 
you know, I, I respect their passion, but they could be a little bit overboard. I, I think and, you got to draw the line at death threats. So how did this come to you? Is this like a Twitter DM? Yeah, so uh, it, it was a crazy story, man. I mean, I, uh, I I did a, I don't know, I think I went on a podcast and I said that he was on the trade block. And, you know, somebody was tweeting at, at the Nets Daily Twitter account first. And it was, it was about, uh, they sent like a video about, you know, shooting up a journalistic uh, journalism uh, company's place. I forget what it was called. And then they started dropping my name in tweets. And then they started saying the name of my town, um, you know, restaurants that are in my town. Like there were like several tweets. And it got to the point where I actually had to I had to file a report because, you know, people were actually worried about my safety. You know, like it was, it was a it was a crazy, crazy couple of days, man. I spent like 10 hours in a precinct. If they're a long Saturday night. Jesus, man. Yeah, I mean, God forbid you say something like that about a guy who played 37 games uh, over the course of two years. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, being in the Milwaukee market now, uh, we have Brooke Lopez. Uh, he started hitting threes his final year in Brooklyn, uh, but certainly not uh, at the ridiculous rate that he is this year. I think his three-point attempt rate that final year was like 33%, and he's at almost 70% now this year. You know, watching him all those years with the Nets, talking with him about his game, did you ever imagine that it would shift this drastically um, and he would basically become a seven foot one Clay Thompson? <laughs> no, and what a what a way to put it. But yeah, no, I I never thought. I I mean, look, we always saw that Brooke could hit long twos. Um, you could argue that Kenny Atkinson might have saved his career by just telling him to take two steps backward. But I mean. You know he he seems like he's carved out a role in the NBA for years to come as as long as yeah. he could as long as he could basically last. Um, it's it's been a joy to watch and when he was actually at MSG I caught up with him and he did say that he thinks that Kenny Atkinson he he doesn't think that he would have started shooting the three without Kenny Atkinson's advice, mm-hmm. but he also didn't know because of the way the the, the direction of the NBA was going. So you know um, humble guy happy for him uh, and. To answer your question, no, I never thought that Brooke Lopez would be the seven-one Clay Thompson. I mean, honestly, Clay might be generous. Like, I, I watch most of these Bucks games, and like, I think it's more like Antoine Walker, like the recklessness with which he's throwing these up. I mean, it doesn't even matter. He could be four feet behind the line. He's trailing Giannis in transition. It's it's actually really fun to watch. Um, but no, I mean, watching him. You know, I remember watching him at Stanford, and he was as traditional of a center, you know, as you could be at that point. And you look at a lot of the guys he came into the league with. You know, someone like a Roy Hibbert who once the league turned, you know, was basically out of work immediately, you know, Al Jefferson, yeah. guys like that, you know, obviously he's a little older. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think there's an argument to be made that, you know, maybe not now, but had he not switched to this, you know, this style yeah. two, three, four years down the road, he, he might have trouble, you know, finding work when he's in his mid thirties. Yeah. I, I kind of wish that they did it earlier with him. I, I right. wish somebody had told him to start shooting threes earlier because, you know, he can never rebound the basketball. No, out in the still, still can't. No. He still can't. Yeah, so, I mean, you might as well park him out there and see what right. he can do because he, he also has the ability to kind of, I don't want to say put the ball on the floor and make a crazy play, but he does. He can, like, do a little pump fake and, and mm-hmm. make something happen, a little floater or something. I mean, right. you know, Lopez is kind of like a guard in a, in a, in a seven-foot-one right. person's body. So I, I, I wish it happened earlier, but I'm, I'm glad it happened nonetheless. Let's take a quick break so I can remind you that once again this season, we've partnered up with DraftKings.com to bring you RotoWire six-month memberships for free. 
All you have to do is go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings, sign up for a new account, and make a deposit of at least $10. At that point, you'll get free six months of access to all of the tools and sports on rotowire.com. That includes our lineup optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, much, much more. All that for $10. You can use that $10 to enter contests on DraftKings and win even more money. We're super excited to bring you this deal once again this season. If you want access right away, baseball season's coming up. You know, still have some contests for football. Obviously, we're right in the middle of hoops. All you have to do is go to rotowire.com slash DraftKings and follow the instructions. Rotowire.com slash DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. New DraftKings users only. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, let's get into some rapid-fire questions. Some of these are about the Nets. Some of them are a little bit more general uh, NBA uh, but we'll start with this one. Who is your favorite NBA player of all time? Could be now, could be when you were growing up. Like, which player did you idolize the absolute most? Wow. Uh, you know, I brought up to you before how my dad took me to games when I was seven years old and Jason Kidd made that run. But mm-hmm. I think it was a little bit after that when they got Vince Carter uh, with the New Jersey Nets. Uh, there was just something about Vince, you know, between the dunks and, and the game-winning threes and the crazy 360 shots that he would make that you really – that I, I personally as a kid idolized. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, just it, – it's cool that I got to cover him and, and actually meet the, the man himself and see the human side of him because he is a, he is a very, very good person. And, you know, it kind of, you know, makes like the 10-year-old me – jump up and down right like right it was so it was so much fun to watch him in those teams with, with jason kidd throwing alley-oops to him and him just basically rocking out at, at, right. at an empty meadowlands arena now I, I think i'm a little older than you i'm 26 are you, are you mid to low 20s 23 yeah. 23 okay so we're close to the same age yeah i mean i vince carter yeah. i think for our generation is in like everybody's top five which there's some there's some like innocence about it when you're younger watching him in middle school not worried that he's shooting 41% from the field, you know, really only catching the highlights at that point. Um, I mean, he's unbelievable. I don't, I don't know that there's ever going to be another in-game dunker, you know, who's, who's kind of done it at that level for as long as he did. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I mean, it, it's going to be a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. game has changed so much, too, that, like you said, like it was hard to even look at, like, the low low shooting percentages right. or the high amount of shots that he did take because it didn't even matter as right. long as they were winning and he was playing well and had highlights. No, exactly. That's all he really cared about. Right. I was a big T-back guy, so he was kind of the same way. You know, okay, yeah. You, yeah. Tune right. in, you, you yeah. see he scored 50 that night. That, that's all you think about for the next week. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, we talked plenty of Nets. Um, do you have like a, a one specific Nets memory um, You know that stands out above the rest, a specific game or a specific play? Man... Uh, I, you maybe know, some, maybe I, something like Josh Boone or Marshawn yeah, Brooks you know, did. <laughs> oh, wow. What a name. Josh <laughs> Boone, Marcus Williams. What a Man, team. I, I remember watching Josh Boone at UConn and just thinking, like looking at this guy and like, I, I don't understand how he's good. Um, but you know, of course they're, the Nets were there to take him in the first round. Yep. Of course they were. And <laughs> to, to, to answer your question, um, Nick, I was, I was, what, seven, eight years old. Uh, the game that I'll never forget being at is when Reggie Miller hit that buzzer beater from, like, half court. Mm. And uh, I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I had school the next day, and me and my dad 
were like just we were putting our jackets on because we thought the Nets had won, and they should have won because he shot it after the after the clock expired. <laughs> but uh, but um, nonetheless, he hit he hit this half court shot in a do or do or die game at the buzzer, and you know we were basically halfway out of the stadium, and then we just turned right back like up, oh, and it's time for overtime, and and the Nets eventually won, and it was like one of the most exciting overtimes I've obviously ever watched in my life, just watching that Jason Kidd team run and play good defense. But, yeah, that that one memory sticks out by far the most. All right, so when you're not watching the Nets or covering the Nets, who are the teams or players right now um, that you're catching on League Pass on an off night? Um, I'm honestly – I'm watching the teams that are right around them, you know, the Charlotte Hornets, yep. uh, Miami Heat, um, I can't say that I'm an expert on any of these guys, but just the fact that they're even close to the Nets, I'm yep. trying to, to keep track of. Um, obviously, the Knicks. I do cover the Knicks a little bit for the Associated Press here and there. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, more, more Eastern Conference type of stuff. But the team that I do love to watch, and I hope this makes you a little happy, is it's the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, to see what Coach Bud has done there, and obviously love watching Brook Lopez and 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 Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's just such a fun team. I hope they they see some success. And Giannis really does assert himself as one of the best players in the league. And not not one of the best. Yeah. I mean, top three. Okay, so as of right now, uh, who is your MVP? If you had to cast your vote, and just assuming that the, that the season ended right now, who would it be? I guess by default, it's got to be James Harden, right? I think it does. I think it pains right. me to say it, but I think it, you can't go any other way right now. No, no, he's just been playing out of his mind, and and yeah, I mean, I wanna, I always, I always love to play devil's advocate and and be that that dude, but I'm not gonna be that guy. Uh, James Harden is my MVP right now. Okay, well, thank thank you for not saying D'Angelo Russell. That would have been too much. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, uh, 2019 NBA champion, Warriors or the field? The Warriors. Warriors. Okay, I'm glad we're in agreement there. I, I think a lot of people who who are all over Denver or. OKC or Milwaukee or Toronto are going to look pretty foolish come June. Yeah, let's not drink the regular season no, Kool-Aid, no, no. you know. Um, should the Nets have any interest in Dennis Smith? Um, it depends what they have to give up for him, but if, if it requires them giving up a young asset, then no. Okay, fair enough. And finally, this is one I ask all of our guests. Um, I'll have to switch up the wording a little bit since it sounds like you, you played some pretty high-level basketball, but who is your your NBA comparison when it comes to playing pickup or in your case, AAU or high school? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always, I always wanted to be like Jason Kidd. Um, I love to dish the ball. I love to run, run the floor. Um, it was, I was, I was kind of Jason Kidd with a good floater, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, uh, I wasn't a spot up shooter or anything like that. I just, I was able to score. I love to dish and, yeah, I, I tried to always replicate my game after him. Jay Kidd with a little Tony Parker? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting okay. it. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, well, that's all I have. Uh, make sure you read Anthony on Nets Daily. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter at A-Pooch, A-P-O-O-C-H. Check out his periscopes for the weekly State of the Nets address. That'll be on Twitter. Anthony, thanks again, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Nick, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure.